Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is the Tolkien Professor, and we are here to do a little Q&A session about the Mythgard Institute. Okay. Um, so yes, it had uh, just uh, sort of occurred to me, as I mentioned on my Facebook page a couple days ago, that uh, it's been a while since we've uh, talked a bit about uh, the Mythgard Institute. And uh, yeah, of course, I've been thinking about it a lot and realizing that in some ways I'm kind of taking for granted uh, how much uh, you guys know about it. And I know that there are uh, many of you who still have questions about it and don't really understand various th ways uh, in how it works and some things about it. So I have a bunch of good questions that people have already sent in, and I've got a few uh, listeners uh, who are on the line who are interested to ask uh, some questions live over Skype, if you would like to ask a question. Uh, on the air, then you are welcome to give me a call. My Skype name is Tolkien Professor, and if you just uh, uh, either initiate the contact with me, or if you're already a, uh, on my contacts, just send me a, a voice chat, and then I will add you uh, to my call here uh, as I go through. So, okay, so First, however, I have uh, sort of two things. One, I want to start off with just a very brief introduction uh, to Mythgard classes and what they are, because again, I don't want to assume, I think that there are, as I said, I think that I tend to assume too much. Um, so first, let me just explain. The Mythgard Institute is a new place for courses online um, which specialize in Tolkien studies and fantasy literature. And basically the idea of it is we're running an MA program, which is which is you know the first thing that I would say, you know, that I would emphasize is this is entirely online. There is no travel involved and there is no uh there is there is no uh there's no brick and mortar element to this. Um one of the one of the fundamental ideas of the Mythgard Institute is essentially um, sort of the next leap forward from the primary idea of my uh, of my podcast, basically. When I started my podcast, my idea was to kind of democratize scholarship, you know, and Tolkien intellectual inquiry and, you know, and kind of get people involved. Not that I was the first one to do that, but to, to, to you know, to sort of extend it and to, to bring it to people where they are um, and help more people get involved. And basically, the Mythgard Institute works on the same philosophy. The idea is that I believe from, you know, things that I have, things that I had done in the past and things that I have done through my podcast, I believe that it's possible to do really good courses, exactly the kinds of courses that I have always done at traditional colleges. Um, with, you know, sort of traditional live teaching discussion and lecture and, uh, and class interaction and, um, and all that kind of stuff. Basically that I think it's possible to do all that online in really rewarding ways and in ways that can make this kind of education available to many more people, both because you can get it wherever you are and because it can be a great deal less expensive than, uh, than other rates of tuition that you will generally find out there. So that's the kind of overall philosophy of the Mythgard Institute. Um, and as I say, the, 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 the focus of it is basically similar focus to my podcast. That is, of course, obviously, uh, since I am the president of the Mythgard Institute, I, you know, Tolkien Studies is a major part of what we do, but it's not exclusively Tolkien Studies. Um, I am interested in, in all kinds of fantasy literature and also science fiction as well. I think we're going to be expanding to a bunch of different things. And of course, as time goes on, we will be expanding our course offerings wider and wider. Um, we plan to begin to do already some language classes pretty soon. I have uh, I have an, an introduction to Latin course, which we're going to be offering in the next couple semesters. Um, also, uh, another thing which I announced in my Mythgard class this semester, uh, Dr. Verlin Flieger, who is one of the 
one of the, oh, I don't know what, three greatest Tolkien scholars living, um, Verlin Flieger is going to teach an Arthurian literature course for us. So it will be our first medieval literature class, and I am so excited about this. Dr. Flieger has been teaching Arthurian literature uh, for decades, uh, and is just uh, she. She is she's she is a wonderful teacher and an excellent scholar. So I am very happy uh, to have her on the MythGuard faculty. Um, so that course also we're going to be offering here in the next few semesters. So we have a lot of exciting things uh, coming up. Now that reminds me that I should tell you about the exciting things we have coming up immediately this coming spring. This spring semester we are offering two courses. Uh, the one course is the course that I'm teaching, the Lewis and Tolkien course. So we're going to be looking, it's called The Making of Myth. We're going to be studying the works of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien together. Um, and here what I'm doing, the way that I'm doing this class is that I want to take a really close look at these works sort of side by side. What I want to try to get into is is to really look carefully at when Lewis and Tolkien are doing sort of similar things. Like, it's easy to kind of read the Chronicles of Narnia and read the Lord of the Rings and say, you know, gosh, they're really different in a lot of ways. Gosh, they have some similar values and things like that. What I want to do is look a little bit more closely and look at things like when both of them are treating the story, the cosmogonical myth, that is the, when both of them are writing a myth about creation and, and the generation of the world and the shaping of the world. And how do each of them approach that, that very similar project? So we're going to read The Magician's Nephew, uh, from C.S. Lewis, and we're going to read The Ina Lindele, uh, from Tolkien and really look at those together and be thinking about how they fit together, uh, and, and, and what's going on there. And that's sort of one example. We'll also be looking at, for instance, The Hobbit and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe side by side as two stories which have very similar concerns. Both of them are a kind of there and back again stories. Both of them are stories which are really designed to introduce, uh, the, you know, a juvenile audience to this new fantasy world. Um, since, of course, as everybody knows, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is book one of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, as, uh, as you probably know, if you listen to my podcast, I try to resist being a purist about most things, but by golly, I am a purist about the numbering of the Chronicles of Narnia. Anyway, um, so anyway, so so that's going to be the main focus of my Lewis and Tolkien class, and I am really excited about it. If you'd like to to see more about what we're going to be reading and uh, what we're going to be studying in the Lewis and Tolkien course, I invite you to look at our Spring 2012 courses page on the MythGuard homepage. Um, now, the second course that we're doing is uh, called Taking Harry Seriously. It is a course on Harry Potter. Um, and uh, and concerning this, I have uh, a, an important announcement to make. Um, and that is, we have recently had a change. We had what was uh, what was at first a disappointment, but which has 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 also become you know has 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 become a very good thing. Um, that is originally, as you probably know, if you've been following along with Mythgard, um, we had three people, the uh, the 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 so-called Potter pundits, who have run a podcast through uh, through the Leaky Cauldrons website. Um, Travis Prinzi and John Granger and James Thomas, and the three of them were going to team teach our Harry Potter class um, as they'd done so much work together and have all of them done so much good work on Harry Potter over the years. Well, recently we had uh, a bit of an unfortunate setback in that both John Granger and James Thomas, both of them for personal reasons, had to had to cancel. They they ended up not being able to do it. Um, 
So we were sort of left for a day or two, not quite sure where we were going to go. And then, you catastrophe. We have found, uh, you know, a, a a a a much more than sufficient substitute. We are delighted um, at the new addition that we have now to the MythGuard faculty, and that is Dr. Amy Sturgis. Um, Amy Sturgis is a is a very well known scholar. She has published on Tolkien and Lewis as well as on Harry Potter. Um, she has been you know the keynote speaker at many conferences both about Tolkien and about Harry Potter um, she has published books in several different genres from history books to 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 to, to works of fiction um, she is a very prolific and active uh, scholar and professor and I am delighted to have her on the Mythgard faculty she is going to be uh, she is going to be now our new primary lecturer for uh, our Harry Potter class in the spring I encourage you if you go to our our homepage mythgard.org uh, you will see as of right now we've uh, posted an announcement post which contains a description of the course as Dr. Sturgis is redesigning it. Um, and we will have, stay tuned for more information. We're going to be posting a new course schedule and a new book list uh, for the coming spring so that you know, you'll be able to see uh, even more information on the new course that, uh, that Dr. Sturgis and Travis Prinzi are. Uh, Travis is still with us, so Travis and, uh, and, and Amy are going to are going to be collaborating on this and they're building they're building a new syllabus right now and it's going to be it's very exciting i really can't wait to see it uh now in addition of course um if you know dr sturgis's work at all as i've said she she does lots of different things and one of her primary specialties is science fiction and one of the things that i think uh we're going to be looking into here in the next few semesters um is a step that I've been really wanting to take at Mythgard for a while, and that is opening up some science fiction as well as fantasy classes. So I think she is going to be teaching a course called The History of Science Fiction uh, pretty soon, sort of this, this a, 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 a background and introduction to the genre of science fiction, which, again, I am, I am extremely excited about this. So... Um, so anyway, I I just wanted to to kind of make that announcement. As I said, we are we are sorry to lose uh, to lose John Granger and James Thomas, and we appreciate uh, you know their 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 contributions and and uh, and our collaboration with them. And we were sorry that that wasn't able to work out. We wish them all the best and hope that uh, that that all of the rest of their stuff is able to kind of uh, work itself through and sort itself out here. And uh, all best wishes to them. Um, and and in the meantime, we really look forward to. Uh, to, to moving forward with uh, with Dr. Sturgis. And uh, one thing that I plan to do sometime uh, sometime fairly soon, I'm not sure exactly when, but sometime fairly soon, I would like to have a, a, a little talking chat with, uh, with Dr. Sturgis, and we'll talk about lots of things. We'll talk about Tolkien, we'll talk about Harry Potter, we'll talk about Mythgard, we'll talk about her class, um, and I want to get you guys a chance, especially those of you who haven't, uh, who haven't read her work or uh, or gotten to hear her speak I would like to give you a chance to to meet her so um so I will definitely be doing an episode of that kind uh here sometime probably in the next few weeks um 
so so anyway, so that is that is the big that that, that is the news. That is the hot off the presses news. That is the the Thanksgiving 2011 development at uh, at the Mythcard Institute. Um, so having those sort of big announcements out of the way. Oh, one other thing uh, that I just wanted to just sort of thinking of questions that I've been asked, and this is a very simple question which I wanted to just mention up front um, because a bunch some people have asked, and that is uh, the price. How much do these courses actually cost? I've mentioned that they're cheap. How cheap is cheap? Well, uh, you can take our courses on two different le- levels. You can either audit the course, um, which means you you can just sh- uh, show up for the lectures and the closing sessions, which are our sort of Q&A sessions, our live Q&A sessions with, with the lecturers. Um, uh, but of course, you can also just listen to the recordings and do it at your own pace as well. Um, so that's that's auditing. Auditing costs one hundred and fifty dollars a semester, and taking the course for M- for credit towards an MA degree costs five hundred dollars. A five hundred dollar tuition plus a twenty five dollar processing fee for your application. Um, so that's for an MA class, a three credit course uh, as a five hundred dollar tuition. I defy you to find a master's degree course with tuition much lower than that anywhere in the world. I haven't found it yet anyway. I'd be interested to see it if it exists. Um, so, uh, so anyway, because that's, that's to me, this is one of the important things. I mean, as time goes on, it's something that I care more and more about, is that I really think that higher education needs to go in a, in a new direction here. I think that the tuition levels that so many schools charge is very high. And, um, and I think that there are other ways to do it, and that's one of the one one of the trails that we are working to blaze uh, here at Mythgard. Um, anyway, but let me not uh, digress into the state of higher education. Let me get on to some people's specific questions. Uh, let me see. Uh, let's see. I have our first caller here. Let me see if Trish is still available. She's been waiting very patiently. Let me try to see if I can call her here. Might be having some technical difficulties here. Well, Trish, I'll tell you what. I will keep you here in the call. And if we can work out the audio here, then we will... Then you can just kind of jump in, I think. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) we'll we'll see if we can add you. I'll move on then to my second caller. Okay, our second caller is... Ah, the second caller is my friends from the University of Alberta, the Last Alliance, the Tolkien Society up there. Hello? Hello, good evening. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Who is this I'm speaking with this evening? Okay, this is Megan. Oh, hi, right Megan. Now. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. And I'm here with uh, Mitch. Hello. Hi, Mitch. So, yeah, we both are in a similar situation. We both pretty much have the same degree in physics. Ah. Yeah, so it's totally unrelated to <laughs> arts. <laughs> hey, that is perfectly okay. Did you know that I majored in astrophysics when I was in college? Actually, I did know that. I did know that. Double major, right? That's right. <laughs> English and astrophysics. My checkered past. Yes, yes. And I wholly support <laughs> physics majors. Um, and by the way, of course, really, the only reason I'm, I was an astrophysics major instead of a physics major is that I wimped out. Like, it was totally, like, if I had if I had been more with it, I would have been a physics major. But, like, I couldn't hack it, so I dropped <laughs> to the astrophysics major. Well, actually, we, we kind of simplified. He's in geophysics, yeah. and I'm in astrophysics. Oh, well, so, there you go. But there, actually, 
the programs are exactly the same except for a couple courses. Yeah. So they you they don't even give you a degree. You can't get a degree in both astro and physics because they're both so similar that right. you can only get one. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, the point is that there's very little essay writing involved, if right. any. There's right. some remedial English course I think you need to take, but Yeah, I, I speaking personally, I haven't written an English essay in probably five years. Right. Yes. Right. 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 Well, the one thing I would say is that uh, if that's the case, then you have written an English essay a decade or two more recently than a couple of our current Mythgard students, <laughs> I will I will say. Um basically here's 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 a story. I mean, there are indeed, you know, paper writing requirements and, and we are going to be encouraging you, you know, to do to do your own work and we, we are of course over the course of the program encouraging people to kind of branch out more and more and do their own thing um, but, you know we we definitely are accepting of people who are not, you know finely tuned English essay writing machines when they come in um you know it's one of the things for me this is one of the great advantages of the way that the lecturer preceptor faculty system that that we use at Mythgard has really been working out well I've been really happy with this this semester because basically what it means is that you know you've got like this semester in my Tolkien in the epic class you've got me doing the lectures uh, along with our guest uh, with our guest lecturers, and that's what most of my time is focused on. I've got, you know, a lot to do with prepping my lectures and working through that and thinking about people's questions and, um, and, and getting all that material together. The preceptors, um, are then, are able to focus on a small number of students, um, the preceptors are going to be focusing on only each preceptor is assigned to a group of 12 students um, and they work with those students on their papers is pretty much their number one job. They lead the discussion sections uh, every week too, but they also work with students on their papers. Um, so, you know, it, basically they are a really great resource. Um, so for people who are in your situation, who, you know, don't feel like a great pro when it comes to writing papers, um, you can know that you will have people there who will basically be ready to help, you know, who will, um, who will be ready to, to really give advice. And I don't make too many assumptions about that. You know, it's been one thing that's been really interesting about, about Mythgard so far. I mean, in, in this first semester, um, our students have been really great. I've been very happy with, uh, with our, with the, the group of students we've had in the class this term. Um, they're a very varied group. <laughs> there are some who, I, we, I mean, they, they've, it's, it's almost, almost like the furthest possible extremes. I mean, we've got a couple people who are, t and these are people who are taking the class for credit. Um, not only just auditors, the auditors are also, there's a, there's a wide pool of the auditors, but of the people taking the class for credit, we've got a couple people who have advanced degrees in literature already, and then there are a couple people who are like engineers who've been working in engineering for a couple decades and haven't even been in school for 20 years, much less taken an English class in 20 years and haven't written in a paper in like as long as they can remember. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a really, it's, it, it's a really, 
uh, disparate group of people. But, you know, I have found it really interesting that the, the discussions we've been having have been great. Um, and I think it's been working out very well. I mean, there are a bunch of people who's, you know, there, there, there are definitely people whose papers are not quite as polished and obviously are sort of, uh, uh, less, less practiced. But again, you know, we have sort of resources available for, for people like that. And, you know, and that's, that's kind of okay, you know, but so I think it's, um, I would definitely encourage people who are, enth- you know, if you guys are enthusiastic, if, you know, if, if you would, uh, you know, you, you think the program at MythGuard sounds really interesting and something that you would like to do, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, I don't think that you need be too worried uh, about about the paper thing. Again, it's not that it's not going to be something you're going to have to do, but but it, I don't think it has to be a sort. I don't think it has to be a source of major stress. And that's, again, it's one of the ways, one of the reasons I've designed uh, the faculty system the way that I have, so that we can make sure that there are, no matter how many people we have taken the class, um, there will always be, you know, somebody who is assigned to you and who is able to be there and work closely with you, read drafts of your papers, go over your papers with you. Uh, you know, you can have you can have chat sessions to discuss your papers with them, to talk about ideas with them beforehand. Um, so, you know, that's something uh, that's something that is always going to be that's always going to going to be available, and I hope will really help out for people in that kind of a situation. That's really cool because yeah. they don't even do that. Um, like when you're taking classes with the U of A, people don't read your drafts before it's due. It's pretty much you. You sort handed it. You don't get people that will go through your no, first no, draft no. with you before it's marked. So that's really cool, actually. So yeah, well, that's good to know. It is. It is, and and that's it's something. I mean, this is something that I just in general writing instruction and helping people with papers is something that I've done a lot of work in, um, you know, in my own teaching career and something um, that has always meant a lot to me. Um, and so it's something that, you know, when I, when, when sort of designing the whole MythGuard schema, it was something that I, that I take really seriously and that I really want to give people the opportunity to do. Um, so, yeah, so that's why we have, you know, I have a 12 to 1 ratio, um, you know, that it, as I said, each preceptor is assigned to 12 students. And, and and I said they will, they will be there for you. That is that is their primary job. So and of course you'll have access to the lecturers as well. But um, but it's the preceptors that'll really be working with you on your individual work. Okay. And who marks the essays? Is that the not uh, the preceptors but the the teacher? I guess the that is. That is actually the the preceptor as well. See, the, oh, okay. the the preceptors and the lecturers are all part of the MythGuard faculty. It's not like um, it's not like at a you know at, at most grad in most uh, big universities where you have like the professor who has like a bunch of graduate student assistants. You know who are kind of. I mean, I've I've totally been there. You know, I've been one of the grad student slaves uh, working <laughs> in a big lecture class. Like that's <clears throat> that's an experience we all have had when we've gone through grad school. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I was a grader, you know, I, I you know, I was uh, sitting there with my pile of like 50 exams to plow through and, um, <clears throat> anyway, so that's, but that's, that's, that's not the, mo- it's, I mean, that's kind of in one sense, the inspiration of the model at Mythgard, but basically I, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I don't use the phrase teaching assistant to describe our preceptors because they're not assistants. They are faculty, they are teachers. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that they, will be impacting 
the students and their experiences in um, in in the class as much as the lecturers will, um, because they're going to be the ones who are going to be working closely with people. So yeah, so they're going to be the ones who've been working with you on your papers. They'll be grading uh, your your papers and they'll be leading your discussion um, so you'll have lots of contact with them as well as having the lecture and Q&A sections uh, with the uh, with the main lecturer and you can ask you know and you can interact both live during those sections with the lecturer um, as well as by email outside of class and uh, um, and the lecturer holds office hours and stuff like that so as I say you'll have a chance for contact there but um, um, but yes, as far as the papers and stuff go, that is that is that that is the primary domain of the preceptor. Okay, gotcha. So my last question was about the like the grading system. So are the classes curved, or is it just sort of like how does that work out? Uh, n- not curved exactly. I've never been a big believer of the curve, mostly because I I don't I've never had a group of students that actually looked like a curve to me. Um, so I have I have uh, I have never in my teaching experience done something like that. But basically, we um the preceptors and the the preceptors and the lecturer basically sort of agree at the beginning about an overall rubric, and we always do um, a comparison. That is, when papers come in, uh, we have the, the 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 preceptors all pool with the lecturer, um, you know, sort of samples of the papers that they graded, and then we all, uh, you know, sort of read through them and talk about them to make sure that we have about the same benchmarks and that everything is kind of working out. Um, over the course of the uh, over the over the course of the semester to make sure that we're being consistent as a group, um, but we don't exactly curve. Now, you know, I guess, and the 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 main thing that I would th- say about this is that I I don't know how big of a deal it is exactly. That is, I I, I can't imagine. You know, in in some ways, I think in an ideal world, a graduate program like this, a master's program like this, shouldn't even I, 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 part of me wants to say, ideally, it shouldn't even have letter grades. You know that there's something to me. There's something still kind of, uh, I don't know. Um, I kind of think that when you get into graduate work, you start to move beyond that in some ways, and it's not just a question of like, am I getting an A minus or a B plus in this class? And um, you know, anyway, it's it's hard. There are a whole bunch of issues there, and we could have a, a larger educational philosophy discussion about that but um but but basically i wouldn't be i wouldn't be too worried about it i mean i think that one of the things that people you know your preceptor again one of the one of the benefits of of being part of such a small group with your preceptor is your preceptor is going to know who you are and where you're coming from um and you know and that's that's going to be that's going to be factored into it, and your your paper grades. You know, there's there's more to your grade in the class also uh, than just the average of your paper grades. You know, I mean, there's also you know your contributions uh, that you make to the class, and you know, basically what they can see that you are putting into the class that really matters. Um, and since it really matters to us, then we say it's part of the grade because that's how we you know put this external label on 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 how you've been doing in the class. So so basically I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too worried about it. I think I think it would be I think it'll be fine. Well that sounds fantastic actually. Yeah this is awesome. We're definitely we're definitely gonna be taking courses then. 
Cool. You have, prob- you have eased our fears as soon as we graduate. <laughs> well, Mitch well, has graduated now, but I'm not. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, I have graduated. I was just, I, I'm a little bit concerned about the, uh, my semesters of my current grad work, work like fitting in with Pittsburgh. Right. I don't know if I can do both at the same time. Yeah, well, the, it, it's going to be challenging. I mean, of course, you do have to be careful to make sure that you can, uh, um, you know, that you can that, that you don't bite off more than you can chew, obviously. I mean, you don't want to be, like, taking a full load of classes and say, like, well, I shall take two or three other classes on the side. <laughs> like, and at some point, sanity must win out. But, um, but it, certainly, MythGuard classes are really flexible. I mean, it's mm-hmm. y- it, you will certainly be able to, um, scheduling-wise, if you have the time to do the work, you'll be able to fit it in. Um, as far as actual time conflicts and stuff, that really shouldn't be an issue. Um, it's one of the things that we, you know, as, as part of the nature of the thing, and I'm going to, you know, definitely come around and talk about this in a little bit more detail later on. But as part of the nature of this whole enterprise, you know, we're doing this this worldwide institute online. So we have people like in my in the Tolkien and the Epic course this fall. Um, in addition to all the people from uh, from America and you know from all over America, uh, including Alaska, um, and uh, and you know the UK and France and Germany uh, and the Netherlands and all that. We we also have several students from Australia and New Zealand uh, and one from Japan. Um, and so, as you can imagine, people are all over the place as far as their their time zones and their work schedules and everything else. Um, and basically, we uh, we are able to work the schedule around that. The, the the lectures and the closing sessions are always recorded, so that if people have other things that are going on during the time in which we happen to hold it, um, you can always watch the recordings and um, send in questions before or afterwards to the lecturer. Um, but the the one thing which has to be done live, the one thing which which demands your actual attendance, is your discussion section. But we schedule people in discussion sections based upon the times that will work for you, basically. So, and we have a bunch of different times available, um, in order to accommodate people's different work schedules and time zones. Um, so, so, so as far as time goes, it would probably be able to work out. But uh, if um, but yeah, but but you are going to have to make sure to uh, you know that you're going to be able to handle it with all of the other things that are going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's almost less like work and more like a vacation from physics. And well, you know, it's just I, something we really love, which the, is so. Cool. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. You know, I mean, exactly. I mean, imagine sitting there, you know, and you've got a really busy week, and you're like, "Oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta finish this experiment." I'm like, "Oh wait, oh man," but I also gotta read the Hobbit for tomorrow, you know, for for <laughs> Tuesday. You know, uh, so yeah, that's uh, it's it it it'll be different, certainly. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for yeah, answering our questions. Much. No problem. Good to talk to you guys again. Yeah, good to talk to you too. All right. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Sounds good. good Bye. Bye. Okay. There we are. Sorry. Sorry for that uh, brief lapse of silence there. A little technical mistake on my part. Um, But we are back here now. Let's see. Um, Let me see if I can uh, give Trish another try here. Let me see. It's the first time I've tried to broadcast this live, so we're um, running into some issues I don't normally. Can you hear me now? Here we go, Trish. I can hear you. So, how are you, Trish? 
I'm great. I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk and just getting more and more excited. And I'll tell you what, if I didn't have a business to run and bills to pay, I would totally be doing both courses in the spring. I'm that excited. <laughs> yeah, well, good. I'm glad to have you, Trish, of course, uh, for our other uh, listeners, is uh, has already uh, uh, enrolled uh, for the spring class. You're doing the Lewis and Tolkien, right? Yes, as a master's. And listen, I'll tell you what. Come the spring, you'll be using more years than 20 years for the examples of students that you have that haven't been in college for a while. We won't say exactly how many years it's been, but... Hey, you know, I think you'll be in good company. I think that there are there are, uh, there are several people who are uh, in the more than twenty years category, and you know, and, and that's been great. It's again, it's one of the things that I, um, it's just it's another aspect of sort of my motivation for this. As I as I said at the beginning, sort of wanting to to reach out to 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 more people and 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 widen the opportunity for people to study uh, some of this stuff. I, I you know as as a professor myself over the last ten years, I've often you know sort of thought you know it would be nice if we could do more for people who are not 18 to 22 years old because um, you know there's a lot of people out there who are not 18 to 22 years old and uh, and I think that many of them would like to take classes too and I know that you can take class I mean it's you know it's not that like everybody teaches only to you know traditional college age students but um, but you know often those opportunities are kind of limited so so that's something that that also I am I am delighted to do and it has been a, another part of the way we've had a we, we've had this remarkable kind of diversity uh even just in our first myth Mythgard class this fall um and 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 certainly a diversity in age and life experience is one of the things that we have had and that's been great uh i think that's great i just think that's i think it'll i'm sure i'm sure what it did and what it will continue to do is just actually make it a much more rich experience for all of us that are involved Yes, I, I think I think it, it it's I it certainly has been my sense that it that it has done. Um, it's been neat to have. Uh, um, even I've been involved this first semester. I've been leading a discussion section too, and in my discussion section, um, you know, we have people of of pretty widespread ages from. Um, uh, from some who have been out of college for a while down to a couple who just graduated a year or two ago. And, uh, and I, I think it's been great. I mean, it's been, it's been really neat to get everybody together and, uh, and, you know, all different, um, you know, places in their lives and levels of experience. You know, there are a couple who are clearly, uh, very much focused on the literary life and, and moving through. There are a couple who have, you know, jumped in this semester and in, in the courses and whom I'm, you know, uh, sort of thinking, you know, wow, like they're going to, like, I, I, I can't wait to hire them as preceptors at Mythgard. They are fantastic. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're on the, on the fast track, uh, to, to, to the academic life. Uh, you know, and there are others who are just sort of lifelong fans who are just really enjoying the experience of doing class and it's been great, you know, so. So yes, yes, well, I am very much looking forward to segued, it. You segued to actually probably if I have a question or or something I'd like you to expand more on is is this whole idea which actually I think you brought up gosh, I cannot keep track of how many things I listen with your voice on it, but it was <laughs> something I think it was last week you were talking to Oh, you called in on no, it was it was a while back. It was on the Hogshead Pubcast and you called in, it was a while back, talking about Mythgard, and you brought up the notion of 
somebody said, well, what could somebody do with a master's? And you said, well, they could work at MythGuard. And I'm driving my car at the point when you say this, and I was like, oh, my God, because I, you know, I, I decided to go for the master's because I thought if I'm going to put the time in and this is something that I'm passionate about, I'm going to go for it. But when you said that, I was like, oh, hey, a new adventure. Yeah. So I noticed that you you announced, I think it was yesterday or today, that you have the jobs want, you know, the jobs section now on the site. Yeah. And I wonder talk a little bit more about that. I mean, at this point, you know, first of all, like I said, I have a business to run, but, you know, I'm probably at the level of volunteer at this point, but I'd love to at some point move into, you know, be being able to be a preceptor as I move through my you know, through my program. But if you would, I, I just would like you to talk a bit more about like the jobs. Sure, sure. No, I'd be happy to do that. I'd be happy to do that. Oh, and actually, um, can I ask, uh, if you have the radio on in the background, could you turn it down a little bit so that we, we don't get feedback? I, 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 I forgot I meant to ask you that before. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, we, we, we finally got that got that together. That was something that uh, I wanted to do for a while. Um, the uh, the job application portal uh, at MythGuard. And basically, what we have right now, you know, MythGuard is is brand new. You know, we're in the middle of our first semester right now. We're, we're gearing up for our second semester ever. And this means both that you know, we, 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 we don't have a lot of resources to hire, you know, as many people as we might want to right now. But at the same time, it also means that sort of the future is wide open and, uh, you know, that we're looking forward to, to growing and expanding. And, and there are going to be a lot of opportunities as we move forward. Our primary our primary desire right now is especially for preceptors. Um, uh, preceptors will, as we say on the website, mostly have MA degrees, uh, and, uh, will, uh, and, 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 you know, and ideally, you know, we really want people who are really passionate about teaching, um, and especially the kind of teaching that preceptors are going to be doing, that is small group discussions and, uh, uh, and, uh, working with students one-on-one, -on -one, um, that, uh, that's the kind of, uh, that's, the kind of work that our preceptors are mostly going to be doing, and that's what what we're what we're definitely most interested to see. Um, we're, so that, that's probably the area where we're going to have most openings soon, and that's going to depend upon enrollment. As I say, we have uh, we have. As I've said before, we have 12 students assigned to each, uh, preceptor slot. And, uh, so it's gonna depend, you know, if we, if we get, uh, a lot more students signing up here in the next couple months, then we might need a bunch more preceptors. So I wanted to make sure to have, uh, uh, to have that portal open and to be collecting people's information so that we can be in touch with people and, um, and uh, and and be ready to hire preceptors as early potentially as this coming spring. Um, now, of course, as we move forward, <clears throat> my plan is to be uh, expanding our courses. So far, we you know we're doing the one course this fall. We're teaching two courses in the spring. Uh, I hope to continue adding if our enrollment continues to grow, and to do three courses in the summertime, and probably four or maybe even five if we get really frisky uh, in the fall of 2012. And if we do that, certainly our our need for for preceptors and for you know a, a, a wider array of preceptors is going to grow as time goes on. So, um, so as I say, that's our number one thing. Now, of course, also we're interested in lecturers. If if there is someone who um, who you know has a has has an idea for a course that they would love to pitch to us, then, you know, I'm very, very willing to listen to that. And th that's going to be a little bit hard because, as I said, we're not 
I'm I'm trying to be cautious in not uh, not kind of expanding too quickly and and you know suddenly opening up and offering ten courses or something. It's tempting because there are ten courses I'd love to offer next semester, but um, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to I don't want to strain our resources too much. But uh, but certainly uh, you know we would love to to be collecting uh, you know the names and information of people who are interested in 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 offering courses and uh, and 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 to hear from them. And the third, as you mentioned, is volunteers. And you know for right now, we uh, you know we have a lot of a lot of individual needs. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm not quite sure sort of exactly, you know, it's going to depend. Different people will have different kind of skills that might be, might be, uh, usable. And, uh, uh, and, and I think it would be, it would be, you know, certainly anyone who is enthusiastic and ready to help out, we would, uh, we would love to be able to, uh, to work with you. So we'll see kind of different ways in which we can kind of get people plugged in. I can tell you the number one thing, uh, that we need right now, if people are really wanting to help out, the number one thing we need is just basically, help spreading the word, you know, to, I mean, I think it's a really exciting opportunity that a lot of people haven't heard of yet. So, um, uh, so I think that it's, you know, I, that, but so that's, to me, that's definitely the, the number one thing that, uh, that we can do, um, that way in which, People can help, but yes, definitely. People who are interested in any of these positions should visit our website, uh, go to the jobs page, and uh, fill out. We have an application and also uh, a separate portal down below the application form in which you can submit um, your uh, resume and a cover letter and stuff. So, um, it, it did strike me when I saw the volunteer thing. I thought to myself that you know you you probably are just sort of collecting like you know for inventory in other words your ideas for what people could do will come up once you see what people tell you they can yes, do exactly exactly no that's that's that is that is precisely what what we're planning to do um yeah i mean it, it, it's it's less that we're sitting around saying well i have you know these four tasks and nobody to do them i wish i i could get somebody to do them and instead uh just yeah there have been a couple times when somebody has said like hey you know i do this and i'm like hey wow that would be really great you know, so um, so that. Well, I gotta be... say, my 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 mouse hovers over that volunteer thing, but I have to be, you know, I have to. I'm like, I'm fighting it. Right. So I may go ahead and just write you, but you know, I if like I said, if I just had my leisure time, I mean, I'd be offering myself to do stuff for you all the time. Well, I but appreciate it. it, and we look forward to having you in the class in the spring. That I, that that, that, that will be the great thing. So. That's right. That's right. And that's what I really need to make. May definitely have time for that, and then we'll worry about the other stuff later. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you kind of going into detail on that. No problem. No problem. Thanks for your question. Good to talk to you, Trish. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. So let's see. Uh, just looking at a couple other questions that have come in here um, uh, through my Facebook page uh, and my Twitter feed. So uh, and the first, and this actually gets to a subject that I have... Um, Subject that I've raised already, but which I'd want to qu clarify a little more. Annie Pruitt uh, had some questions on my Facebook page about class scheduling. Um, in the um, in the application, the course application um, for the Mythgard classes, we ask for your preferred times of day in your local time zone. We ask what your time zone is and uh, what are your preferred times of day for class. Um, 
And Annie had asked if I could elaborate on the timing of classes a little bit. She says, are those weekly meeting times? Um, I wanted to sign up at the same class session as a friend. If we simply select the same preferred time, will that happen automatically? Um, and, okay, so let me just sort of explain how this works. One big question that a lot of people ask um, or want to know about beforehand is they say, like, okay, well, I'm thinking about signing up for your class, but I want to know when is the, when does the class meet? Because I have to know if I can make the time. Um, but we haven't posted that. Well, we haven't posted that, not because we're neglecting posting that. Uh, we haven't posted it because it works the other way. At MythGuard, it works the other way around. We don't say, hey, we're showing up at this time. Come if you can. Instead, we are collecting your preferred times because we are going to use those in order to, to determine when the class is going to meet. Um, we are going to be doing... Th- we, we, we try to schedule times, schedule our classes at the times which are most convenient to the majority of people. This semester, um, in the fall 2011 semester, um, that has been primarily um, evening time, uh, uh, Eastern time uh, in America. So uh, our classes have mostly met at 9 o'clock on Mondays and Fridays for the the primary lectures and the closing sections, though we have had some in the afternoons, uh, and we've had some a little bit earlier and one a little bit later. So, um, you know, these, these things kind of kind of vary. The reason that we can do this is that basically there are, there are the three primary sessions that the class meets every week. First is the primary lecture, second is the discuss, is the small group discussion, and the third is the closing session, which is basically an open Q&A with the, with, with the lecturer. Um, auditors only go to the first and last, that is, to the primary lecture and to the closing session. And if you can attend that section live, that's great. You know, we have a live feed, so you'll be seeing a live video feed. You'll be able to interact with the lecturer in real time. We have that that opportunity there, and that's been great. In fact, as the semester's gone on, I've been, um, I find, uh, as, a, as a teacher, I've been experimenting more and more with using the interface to actually do more live interaction with the class like I want to. You know, usually when I teach class, I always, I was, I just like to ask questions, you know, to my students and have them answer. And so I've been doing that more and more, uh, during our lecture sessions and it's been great. Um, you know, people have been doing that mostly through text interface because it's a large group. So it's hard to do a huge group audio interface. But anyway, so we've been doing that, uh, through, through, uh, through a text basis. So that's been really good. And, um, I, uh, so anyway, so we have that opportunity, but if you can't make that, it's not that big a deal. Basically, you're going to, uh, be able to get, and I post them right away, usually within an hour of the end of class. I post both an audio recording and a video, and a video recording of the class sessions. Um, so if you're auditing and you just want to listen to the lectures at your own pace, you can do that. If you're taking it for credit and you can't, make the lecture that night, it's no big deal. You just watch the recording later on. If you have a question that came up during the recording, well, that's good. You know, you can talk about it in your discussion section the next day, or you can email it to me and I'll address your question during the closing session later that week. Um, that's one of the purposes of the closing se- session, actually. So, um, 
so with the with the lectures, with the primary lecture and the closing session, you know, there's a lot of flexibility. And certainly if you're an auditor, you have 100% flexibility. Um, but even if you're taking it for credit, you can always watch it later if you can't make a particular session, if your schedule changes or whatever. It's no big deal. I don't take attendance at the lectures. Um, that's really not necessary. Now, the one place where attendance is required, as I already mentioned, is at the weekly discussion section. That is a live, audio-based, small group discussion discussion sections you are expected to attend. But, and that is the number one reason why we take your preferred times, because there we want to make sure I am committed to making sure that every student who signs up for credit uh, has a discussion section that they can attend regularly. Um, and that they can that they can attend in person. Um, and I've always said if if they if they couldn't if we couldn't fit them in somewhere, if they could, if if they if they if they can fit into work, then I'll meet with them myself, um, and it's fine. And it's one of the reasons why this semester I am running a discussion section at midnight, uh, my time, uh, because it's for the people in the Pacific <laughs> mostly. Um, but anyhow, so uh, so and so that's been that's been really good. And so Annie, if you have, um, if you have, if there's another, a friend of yours who's signing up for the class as well, what I would recommend that you do, it won't necessarily happen automatically because we may have several discussion sections, um, which meet at a similar time. Um, so what you want to do is just make a note of that, uh, in your application. There's a space for like other comments or something like that. Um, kind of a general spot. Um, at the end, uh, uh, at the end of the application form, that you can just put in anything else that you want. And if you just mention there the name of your friend that you would really like to be in your discussion section with, um, we can we can definitely try to work. I can't absolutely promise, but we will definitely try to uh, try to make that happen. I, I wouldn't think it would be too big of a problem. Um, so that's basically how the timing thing will work. So I hope that that kind of helps a little bit to uh, to see how that works. Um, okay, so I have a caller who is coming in now. Hello. Hello. Hi, Bethany. Hey. Hi, welcome. Good. Well, thank you for having me on this evening. No problem. Yes, I do have a couple of questions for you. Okay. What are you most excited about in this upcoming year for Midgard? Well, I think the two things that I am... Well, it's hard because, of course, obviously, I'm very excited about my own classes, but that would seem kind of narcissistic to talk about. But, of course, I'm offering them because I'm really excited about them. Uh, this coming spring, my Lewis and Tolkien course uh, was basically... I kind of sat down... Uh, beginning of the fall semester and was thinking about the spring and I said to myself, okay, um, what is the course that I've always wanted to teach? Like, what course is like the one course that I would most want to do if, you know, somebody just came to me and said you could teach any course you want? Because I realized, I'm like, hey, I could teach any course I want. So... I decided it was totally Lewis and Tolkien. I've always wanted to do a course on C.S. Lewis and really looking at C.S. Lewis with Tolkien. So I am very excited about that. So, but, so I'm going to kind of make an exception for my own classes because that would be, uh, that would be, as I say, sort of, sort of silly. But the two other things that I am most excited about about Mythgard are first, I am really excited for the opportunity to, to, to learn new stuff that I'm not familiar with. I am, for instance, really excited. I'm going to be auditing, basically, the Harry Potter class this spring. Um, 
I'm going to be really excited to see what Dr. Sturgis uh, and Professor Prinzi uh, come up with uh, this this spring semester. I have been I have enjoyed the Harry Potter books. Um, you know, as they have come out, I didn't start reading them at the very beginning. I think I think the Order of the Phoenix was the first one that I read, like right when it came out. But um, but anyway, I've 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 I like the Harry Potter books. Um, I've never been totally overwhelmed by them. I've always been a little bit disappointed, especially in the later books. Um, and so I am very excited, but basically I am open-minded, uh, and I certainly have great respect for many people who are extremely enthusiastic about the Harry Potter books. And so, what? Uh, so I am, I am, I am very excited to see what they do with this. I am, I'm, I think that there's a lot that I have to learn um, about uh, about sort of the world of. Of uh, of Harry Potter scholarship, and I am uh, and I am very excited in, to uh, to delve into that. And of course, that's just sort of the first one. Um, you know, as as I, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast tonight, I am very much looking forward to Dr. Verlin Flieger's Arthurian literature class, um, which we're which we're planning to offer this summer. Um, that is, I mean, I've taught an Arthurian literature class for many years uh which i always enjoy very much and i am i am very excited to hear dr flieger uh teaching on many of those same books that i have taught on myself many times um so that's going to be really great so there are there are a lot of things there are whole disciplines which i have never had the chance really to study myself um and which i am going to be excited both to see other people studying and to get a chance to learn something of myself. One of the courses, which I hope we will offer within the next three semesters, is an introduction to philology, an introduction to historical linguistics, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that, that Tolkien did for a living, basically. Um, and, you know, wow. my own linguistic understanding is is so poor. I am, uh, I am such a pathetic uh, excuse for a linguist. I just, like, I totally don't know anything about language. And, uh, and I always feel the lack of it when I'm, uh, when I'm, you know, reading Tolkien and when I'm studying Tolkien, I know I'm like, man, I would be, I would be so much better of a Tolkien scholar if I, if I also, uh, you know, knew philology better than I do. So <laughs> I think we're going to do that. And I'm, and I'm very, you know, I'm definitely planning to do that, I should say. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and I am working on, I, I have not finalized a deal with a, with a philology lecturer, but I am working on that. Um, and, uh, anyway, so, so those, those things, so studying, you know, studying new things that I have never gotten to study before or studying things that I know already quite well, um, with teachers that I respect very much, uh, like Dr. Flieger. That's one of the main things that I'm really excited about. And second is just to sort of watch, watch this grow and watch our program expand. I, I, you know, I think that there is, there's so much potential in this. I mean, of course, this is something that I, you know, the Mythgard Institute is something I just kind of dreamed up, um, you know, thinking about it and talking about it with friends. And it was just sort of one of those, wouldn't it be cool if we could, you know, do this kind of things. And, uh, and the way in which it has been working out and coming together has been really exciting to see. And, um, you know, sort of watching that grow and develop and, uh, and begin to sort of take the next steps forward. Um, 
I am uh, I am I am very excited to see. I know that's kind of a vague thing to be excited about, but that's that's no, certainly no, something I'm looking forward really, to. It's really exciting watching it, kind of more from a distance. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting to see such innovation, really, and to to see technology being used to spread information and love of a subject and just. That's really exciting to me. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, that's 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 the thing is I th- you know I think that sometimes people sort of have well they have several assumptions about online courses, most of them not good, but um, but certainly one kind of assumption that people I think tend to make is to be thinking about online courses as you know sort of high tech in some ways, and of course I mean in some senses they are, but really. How I see Mythgard courses is just basically using using some actually pretty simple internet technologies in order to be able to bring traditional teaching to people all around the world. You know, I mean, I at, at the end of the day, I'm doing this not because I love technology and I'm into technology. I mean, I, I do kind of like technology, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love teaching um, and because I'm excited about giving people the opportunity to 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 teach and to learn and uh and to do these things and i think that this can be a vehicle in ways that it just hasn't been i, I mean i i i think that although online teaching has been happening for decades now um it's rarely been any good because very rarely it seems in the history of online education very rarely has have online tools really been put primarily to the service of people who really just want to teach and love to teach? You know, they have been ways to either ways to permit people to acquire certain skills or degrees, which is a good thing, but different, um, or has been a way for an institution to make money, which is also quite different um, from being motivated just by a love of teaching and a desire to teach. Indeed. And that's, you know, so that's 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 you know, at Mythgard, that's kind of where where we are. And so that's to me, that's that's sort of the biggest difference there. But as I say, it also means that in the end, it's not all that. Um, it's not really all that flashy. It's uh, it's it's just about um, about being able to reach people. That's all. I I guess that's what I meant. I had noticed I've done some online studying myself and never has it been sort of infused with such enthusiasm both on the teachers and the students part and and everyone involved really. So it's exciting to see that. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm. I'm. I'm glad that has come through. I am certainly excited about it, and I have been delighted uh, that our, our students so far have been as enthusiastic as they have been too. Um, it's been one of those things, you know. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's been kind of funny, you know, for me personally. It's been one of those things which I've been was kind of holding my breath for. I was like, you know, okay, I have this idea, and I think this will work. I think this will be awesome. But I didn't really know, you know. I mean, I was I was pretty sure it would work, and I was pretty sure <laughs> that the experience for the students would be really good. But I wasn't completely sure that it would be. Um, so imagine my delight <laughs> when it actually turned out uh, that at least it looks like that uh, that people have really responded to it. Um, 
you know, in uh, in in the way that I hoped that they would, and it it really I think has translated as well as I hoped it would translate, and that's been uh, that has been tremendously satisfying. And again, that's why I'm so excited to see things to see things expand and move forward. I think this is really only the this is really only only the beginning, and uh, you know, I am I have uh, I have big plans moving forward. I mean, uh, I it is my hope that you know within ten years. We're running a full undergrad program. That's what I would love to see. Um, so you know, I have, uh, I have, I have big dreams for the future. But uh, I'm also really very much enjoying, enjoying the present. Uh, and uh, you know, in the next two days here, two days from now, I will be hosting the guest lecture of Michael Drought on the Fellowship of the Ring in our Tolkien in the Epic class. Uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to... So, so I'm looking forward to two days from now as well as two years and two decades from now. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good perspective to have. <laughs> I've, I've been wondering something about you for a while since I started listening to some of your podcasts. That is, what is it like or is there much difference in approaching... Tolkien and Lewis from more of an, not an intellectual level, because fans often approach it at an intellectual level as well, mm-hmm. and not, not just a level of pure enjoyment, but also a level of learning and knowledge and pure study. But what is it like approaching it from someone like you who teaches it uh, versus someone who approaches it more purely as a fan or a philosopher? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's something actually I've been thinking about a lot lately because, you know, I think that that's, it's something, there's kind of a divide in, in sort of the Tolkien world. Um, not just sort of the general kind of scholar fan divide, which isn't always a very hard divide by any stretch, but, um, mm-hmm. but still can be kind of there. And, you know, I think about the term that actually Michael Drought has used. He uh, published a, an article on this, which was which is very good and was very thoughtful. And he was differentiating between what he called Tolkien studies and what he called Middle Earth studies. And Middle Earth studies is basically thinking about thinking about Tolkien's books from within, like it's the, the kind of thing that. Um, that most Tolkien fans do. That is to be getting so wrapped up in Tolkien's world and thinking about it and talking about it um, that you begin sort of talking and thinking about it almost as if it really exists or like when you're having the conversation, the language that you use to describe it is the same kind of language you use to describe real things. Um, if you know what I mean, that it's like basically just this sort of immersion in the in 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 Tolkien's world. And there are a lot of people for whom like that's what they primarily do. Um, and that is what, uh, that is what Dr. Drought calls middle earth studies. And then on the other hand, you have Tolkien studies and that is people who are approaching Tolkien's work as, as, well, I was about to say as critics. Um, the older I get, the more I hate the word critic and criticism 
literary criticism. I just don't think it's a good description of what we do. Originally, that word was it was like an 18th century word. Like this is from like back when magazines and literary journals were first uh, going into circulation um, in the 1700s in England, and people became professional critics. And the job of a of a literary critic, um, and this was true. You can still even see, like for instance, in C.S. Lewis's criticism, there are times when he explicitly speaks of a critic's job in these kinds of terms. That is, a critic's job was basically to tell you what are good books and what are not good books. Like, you know, it's, it's a critic's mm-hmm. job to inform the public, this is a good book for these reasons, this is a crappy book for these other reasons. Uh, and that's like what a critic does. And I was like, that's not what I do. I mean, I don't sit around and be like, well, I think this book is excellent for these reasons. Let me point out the excellences, uh, you know, to all of you like unwashed people <laughs> who can't figure this out for yourselves. Like, it's not what I do. I, I just, so I, so anyway, but I haven't really found a, a word that I like better. But anyway, okay, so you've got Tolkien studies on the other hand, and that is people who are studying Tolkien and his writings sort of from the outside, not from inside, but from the outside, um, and thinking more about kind of Tolkien as an author and approaching him as one would approach an author or the works of, of you know, any other author, um, you know, being a Tolkien scholar in the same way that you would be, a, you know, a, a Hemingway scholar or a Chaucer scholar or a Shakespeare scholar or something like that. And, and that's Tolkien studies, um, and it's more that's more kind of mainstream literary criticism stuff. And the what I've been thinking about this recently is that I'm not sure that the divide. I'm not sure in the at the end of the day that I wholeheartedly subscribe to Dr. Drought's division between Middle Earth studies and Tolkien studies. That is, I don't deny that he is correct to describe it that way, but. I think that there is, well, I don't know. I think about it kind of, I'm still kind of mulling over my thoughts about this. And it involves the terms in which I've been thinking about it are derived from a couple writings of C.S. Lewis's, actually, which are fairly obscure. A couple of his essays, which are published in a book of his essays, which is called God on the Dock. And most people haven't read it. Really diehard C.S. Lewis fans have read God on the Dock, but um, but but many people wouldn't. Um, and uh, what he what he describes in this one essay I'm thinking of is he describes the difference between um, he 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 gives us a metaphor he says you know imagine going into like a dark shed but it's sunlight outside and there's a ray of sunlight that comes down into the darkness of the shed and you can see all the motes of dust and stuff playing on the shaft of light if you step into the shaft of light and you look out the shaft of light to the outside you have one experience and the whole rest of the shed disappears and you're totally unaware of the uh, everything else that's in the darkness around you all you can see is what's outside you know because you're see you're looking along the shaft of light however if you take one step back and you're standing in the darkness again now you're looking at the shaft of light and you can see things about the shaft of light which you couldn't see because you're no longer aware of it when you're looking along it and so he talks about this as the difference between looking at and looking along and he was in this essay generalizing this to many experiences um from reading experiences to emotional uh psychological and spiritual experiences things like being in love for instance you know that 
there's there are things that someone who is in love can tell you about being in love that is someone who is in the experience and there are some other things that psychologists for instance could tell you about being in love and they are different things and they are both valuable things and they are both valuable on their own grounds and on their own terms um they're very different but you can't really say that one of them is the superior way of knowing that thing. And basically, I've been kind of thinking about Middle-earth studies and Tolkien studies in that same way. And I think that sometimes scholars can lose out in trying to resist basically resist doing Middle-earth studies, resist thinking like, resist immersing oneself in the world and try to maintain a kind of a distance from it. The kind of distance, as I say, that one might maintain from uh, like a Shakespeare play or something um, when writing an article or a book on it. And, um, And I think that that's, in the end, I think that's a mistake. I think, because I think it, it kind of closes to us a lot of what is going on there. Well, I'm kind of meandering very broadly here, but uh, but the long and the short of it is, I think that really good, really good fans and casual readers will read like scholars, will think about things carefully, and the more you do, the more carefully you think about things uh, and sort of examine... Um, the more closely you examine things and think about it, the more rewarding you will find it. I mean, that's been one of the sort of premises of my whole podcast and everything. Um, But at the same time, I think if all you do is kind of distance yourself from it and sort of consider it as a text generated by a person at a particular time, um, you're also losing a lot of what it is. Um, And so I think just just as, as fans and readers will gain by reading more like scholars, so scholars will also gain if they don't forget how to read like fans. Um, so kind of joining those two things is one of the things that has always been really important to me, and has been more and more important the more I've thought about it. Um, and so, therefore, sort of the less that I uh, sort of, I don't know, the less inclined I feel to apologize for some of the <laughs> for some of the stuff that I do, um, but anyway, so that's okay. that was that was an extremely long and perambulating answer. But what you're doing is uh, uh, prompting me, which is always very dangerous, prompting me to uh, speak extemporaneously about something I've been thinking about a lot, but kind of vaguely to myself. So, so there, I have made you the victim of my own uh, mental wanderings on this subject. Oh, I enjoyed it. But it's a good um, question. It's a very good question. Then uh, I guess one one slight problem I have with people who tend to approach The Lord of the Rings as, or, or any other of Tolkien's works, as something written by a specific person in a specific time, in a way, it's a bit limiting. Uh, I mean, there's a phrase, the timeless classic, for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I... I agree. I mean, it's very important. You know, you can you can miss out on a lot of things if you if you. I mean, I do, I, I think that both things are necessary. You know, like like you know, one thing that that you know that I often say, people forget about time. That is the timeline of Tolkien's life. Like you you know. There's no answer to questions like, well, what did Tolkien think about this? Often, Tolkien thought several things about that over the course of his life, and his ideas change. And, and so, it's really, you know, even if, you're, even if your, 
primary interest is just to immerse yourself in Tolkien's world, um, that world is going to make a lot more sense to you if you can kind of understand how it developed and grew uh, over the course of Tolkien's life and can see sort of the trajectory from, you know, the initial writings he was doing in the Book of Lost Tales through while he's doing the, you know, knowing that he's working on the Lay of Lathian and the Hobbit very close together, for instance, um, seeing some of his reflections on his earlier work after the Lord of the Rings and how the Lord of the Rings changed a lot of his... uh, uh, a lot of his ideas about his mythology and then some of the ways later in his life that he was rethinking some of some of his mythology. I mean, knowing all of these things and, and really thinking, you know, putting those things together really does only enrich one's immersion into the story. But I do agree. I, I think that if it, you really can lose something if you if you are too uh too sort of dispassionate um in an academic reading. Um of Tolkien's books, I do think that 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 something gets lost there. But but again, but there's a lot to be gained uh, from taking that stuff into account as well. So, um, so doing both—that's what I—that's yes. what I chiefly advocate. But well, excellent. Yes. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a balancing act. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Well. Well, thank you for your stimulating questions and everything. And uh, uh, I've had a I've had a good time. Do you have any other any other quick questions? There are a couple other questions that I should probably also get to. But do you have, do you have any other quick questions? I, I guess I do have two fairly quick. One is with the Arthurian oh, sorry with the um, Arthurian legend uh, classes. Do you know if Howard Pyle's King Arthur books will be touched on? I am not sure, but I rather doubt it. In the conversation I had with um, with Dr. Fleeker about the class, this is one of the things that we were sort of just sort of swapping stories about our experiences and our syllabi and in teaching Arthurian lit. And one of the things that we both of us agree on is that we always wished that we had more time for modern stuff. Um, that is, it's always a lot of fun to look at the development of the legend over the course of the Middle Ages. Um, from the early uh, and often quite strange legendary material about Arthur up through Sir Thomas Mallory at the end of the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. there's so much that goes on there, and it's, it's, it's such a rich tradition to look at that stuff. And that stuff is is way enough for one semester. <laughs> it, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it is plenty for one semester. But... It's also really interesting to see how the Arthurian legend then gets um, developed and incorporated in later time from people, for, whether it be obvious things like like Tennyson um, or retellings like Pyle or T. H. White's Once and Future King um, and and uh, you know and other sort of modern works like that. And also one thing that I've always done in my Arthurian lit class as one kind of simple gesture towards looking at. Um, the sort of the, the the life of the Arthurian legend in the modern era um, is looking at films. Um, I've always ended my Arthurian lit class looking at looking at a film a decade from the last four decades. Um, so we've we've always watched together and discussed. Uh, um, well, working backwards from the this last decade, we we would discuss the uh, King Arthur film of two thousand and four, the one with uh, uh, Kira Knightley and uh, what's his name? I forget the dude who plays Arthur, but anyway, 
The one with Kiara Knightley painted blue, as I always think of it. And oh, then, okay. And then, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, and then, I did see part of it. Yes. I, I don't know that I could finish it. Um, oh, it's it's pretty special in its own way. Um, well, all of these movies are special in their own ways. Some of them, yes. Some of them more comedically than others. Uh, from the '90s, we uh, we watch uh, First Night, the Sean Connery, Richard Gere as Lancelot uh, uh, film, which is hysterical actually I, I i kind of i kind of love that film in several ways i think it's really funny uh often very unintentionally that. funny um i no no don't 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 get me wrong i'm not saying it's a great movie uh but i'm saying it is fun to watch and okay. uh and 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 they are doing some interesting things with the arthurian story so i think it's i think it's i think it's it's fun they're really cheesy in many ways and richard Gere is lancelot i mean honestly um who is in charge of casting there but anyhow um uh, and then uh, from the 80s, of course, we do Excalibur, that great classic of modern Arthurian film, which um, my students uh, at Washington College have always found hilarious. Um, I mean, they just crack up laughing throughout that film. And then, of course, from the 70s, uh, we start off with that uh, ultimate classic of all King Arthur films, really the greatest King Arthur film ever made, uh, and of course, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, so that, the, anyway, so that, that's 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 sort of my own approach to it. Um, I, I'm not sure how much time Dr. Flieger is going to have for modern things, so we might end up not um, doing too many. Uh, we we might not end up doing too many um, uh, modern stuff in that modern texts in that class. Okay. So, yeah. All right. I guess one last question I have, and you may have answered this earlier, I'm not certain. The show Merlin is a great show. Yes, yes. I was noticing it. I think it's coming uh-huh. in from, from the chat room. Yes. I've seen yes. the Merlin show, and it is interesting. I do kind it, of like it. We can focus on Merlin. It's, it's, it's good. It's long, though. I mean, it's longer than the, than the films. Okay. Totally distract me. Sorry. Yep. Anyway, question, you may have answered this before, but... Are you planning on releasing any of the courses for purchase or download later? Ah, that is an excellent question. Yes, I am planning to do that. I know that there have been Yay, I've, I've been contacted by a lot of people who have said like, "Oh, I missed the Tolkien in the Epic class and I can't believe there was this class with, you know, with uh, Tom Shippey and Verlin Flieger and everybody and I, and I haven't gotten to do." Um, yes, we are I am planning to do that. First of all, I do hope to to offer the class again another time um not too long from now. Um not immediately. Um but uh, but but not too far away. But I do hope to make the recordings available. There are still some things that um, there are still some things that we we need to kind of work through and sort out um, as far as how that uh, how that works. But um, b- so yeah, so we 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 don't have the mechanism quite down yet. But um, but the short answer is yes, yes, we do plan to do that. And I hope I'm thinking probably. Um, between now and the beginning of the spring semester, we're going to be pretty much focused on, on, um, spreading the word about the spring classes. And of course I'm finishing up the fall class and I'm guessing it's going to be probably January, February when we're able to kind of put some things together on that. Um, yes. So, so that, that's probably when things will move on that, but yes, we're definitely planning it. Okay. Yes. Good. So, so Thank you for that. That was actually uh, a question that a that a couple of people have uh, uh, have have asked. So, 
Yes, I am. Um, I, I barely restrained from entering it with the, I miss the lesson such class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's it's. I've gotten that from several people. So no, we we do definitely want to want to give people the opportunity. And the thing is, I mean, the the thing that has really kind of convinced me of that this semester is that, yeah, a lot of people who are who are auditing the class are basically doing so asynchronously. You know, who are are not necessarily following our classes live every week, but are listening to the recordings as they go and are maybe a week or two behind us or you know, some of them are are keeping up but not all of them are, which is fine. I mean, it's the point of auditing is that you can go at your own pace. Um but it's kind of it's become sort of more and more clear if even the people who are signed up to audit right now are, you know, kind of doing it like, you know, listening to these recordings, well, like other people would want to listen to these recordings at their own pace too. Why can't they start now instead of September? So, um, so yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's definitely something that we are, that we are planning and we will make it happen sometime, sometime here pretty soon. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you a lot. It was a lot of fun talking to you and thanks for having me. Good, good. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay. Talk to you later, sir. And it was a pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Okay. All right. So I just want to uh, mention a couple other things and see if I can um, answer a couple of the other questions that came in through Facebook. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention again, uh, Dave is telling me that a bunch of people in the chat room, with which I apologize, I can't keep up with the chat room while I'm talking, mostly just because I am I am totally um, multitasking challenged and I can't read and speak at the same time. So, uh, but, anyways, but Dave is letting me know that... Um, uh, Several people are, are interested in talking about getting involved with Mythgard, and that is great. We need all the help we can get. Um, and I would just direct you to, we have just launched, as I mentioned with Trish a little while back, we have just launched a new portal for people to apply uh, for jobs, especially teaching jobs at Mythgard, but also for people who are interested in volunteering in other ways. Um, so definitely look up, there's a, there's a, there's a, a page for for volunteering and for applying as a volunteer. So please do look up for that. That's on uh, on Mythgard Mythgard.org. There's a jobs tab, and it, uh, and talking about volunteering is under the is under the jobs tab. So do check that out. Um, okay, let me look at a couple of the other questions that I have, uh, and then we should probably sign off after that. Let's see. Um, actually, I'm going to go back to Annie Pruitt's question, because she had some other questions. Her first ones were about uh, the preferred times and the scheduling, which I already talked about. Um, but then also she was asking, um, if we're only auditing the class, can we still write papers and get feedback? Um, no. Uh, basically, the, the the difference between auditing and taking the class for credit, uh, in a nutshell, the difference is the preceptors. Um, you know, I've talked a bit earlier in the show about the preceptors and what they do and the kind of time that they're able to dedicate and the kind of, uh, you know, sort of small group um uh, you know, sort of experience that you have with with the preceptors, they are the ones who you know who who read the papers and who'll be working with you on your papers. Um, that's what they do, and uh, and I'm also uh, committed to compensating them. For, you know, I mentioned before about grad student slaves and how I don't want to be a part of that picture. Um, well, this is one reason is that I I am committed also to paying my preceptors well like they're actually an important members of the faculty rather than um rather than grunt laborers as so many grad student teaching assistants are treated uh in academia unfortunately but sorry not to go off on a political tangent there but or at least an academic politics tangent um 
but uh, but anyway, so so basically the the reason. Th- uh, the reason for the it's it's one of the chief differences for the reason between uh, the price of taking the course for credit and for auditing is that when you take the class for credit you get the preceptors basically and all the stuff that they give you the live discussion sections uh, the papers work uh, having somebody to read and work with you on your papers that's basically the chief benefit that you get um, in addition of course to credit but but basically that's that's the chief thing that you get for uh, um, for taking the class for credit instead of auditing. So so auditors are not going to be able to have access uh, to the preceptors there, but you do get the same class material as far as the lecturers and the, the as, as far as the lecturers go. You have the same access to the lecturers. You can participate in our class discussion board so you can be a part of the general class conversation. Our discussion board this semester has been um, very active um, and the auditors are very active on that. So so that's been that's been really good. Um, let's see. Annie also asks, if I dropped out of a master's program in English uh, many years ago, if I sign up, can I transfer any of those credits towards a degree from Mythgard? In principle, yes. If you have credits that you would like to transfer into Mythgard, I would encourage you to send a transcript to our mailing address. Um, the mailing address of the Mythgard Institute is P.O. Box 7. That is the number 7. Just Seven. We have a one-digit mailbox, um, and if you saw the post office where our PO box is in, you would understand better. It is tiny. Anyway, PO box seven, Hartley, Delaware. That's H A R T L Y, Delaware one nine nine five three. That is our mailing address, and you can have your transcript sent to us there, um, and we will look at it, and we will get, and we will be in touch with you uh, to talk about that and how it might fit in with our program. Um, so that's good. Now, um, now, Rich Rigney asks uh, a very important question. He is interested in the accreditation status of Mythgard. He says, as a teacher, I need to take classes to keep up my certification, but they must come from accredited institutions. Um, good. Uh, let me. This is some, another thing that I did want to talk about because, of course, a lot of people have questions about this. This is, of course, one of the questions that you very much should be asking when you are thinking about taking courses for credit at an online institution. Are you accredited, and what's going on with that? Um, the answer is we are not yet accredited because that's not something you can snap your fingers and do. What I can say about accreditation is that we are on the path to become accredited as soon as is possible, which is not nearly soon enough for me, but it's how the system works. Um, let me give you a like one-minute overview of the accreditation system and how this works. There are basically two players involved. There is the state, who gives you certification to uh, award degrees to people, and then there is the regional accrediting body, who, uh, who grants you full accreditation once you already have uh, your degrees granted. Now, um, this means, basically, that... Uh, so one question, for instance, that some people have asked me at Mythgard, you know, when, when, they've, when they say, are you accredited? And my answer is, no, we're not accredited yet. The thing that people ask me is, well, why are you offering classes to people for credit if you're not accredited yet? Like, how can you do that? And the answer is, we're required to by law. The, the way that this system works is that you cannot get accredited unless you already exist. They won't accredit an idea, a concept. If you're going to start up a new school, you can't just say, hey, people, I want to start up a new school. Can you give me accreditation? They will say no. Not only do you have to already exist, you have to have enrolled students 
programs, and you have to have been enrolling them for a couple semesters before they'll even before they'll even let you begin the multi-year process of applying for accreditation. And the same is even true of the state to whom you must apply in order for certification to award a degree. You can't go to the state. In my case, it's the state of Delaware that I'm applying to. That's where I live. And uh, I can't go to the state of Delaware and say, hey, I've got a great concept uh, for a new university. Will you grant me degree awarding status so I can open up my university? That's not, Again, that's not how it works. Instead, they say, show us what you have. Show us that you have a program, and then we will approve it. Then we will certify it. So... Um, the uh, by law, <laughs> the cart has to be a goodly distance out in front of the horse uh, in order for any of this to work. That's just how the system works. So at Mythgard, we are doing, we are, you know, we are working very hard to do everything right and legitimately as carefully and thoroughly as we can. So we are. Um, so that that means step one, um, the two things that we are doing right now um, is uh, applying for official nonprofit tax exempt status, and two, applying to the state of Delaware for certification to award the master's degrees. Now I've had preliminary conversations with the people at the Department of Education in the state of Delaware. Um, they are very enthusiastic about what we're doing, and uh, they have the timeline that they have given me is they believe that we will be able to have the state certification completed um, hopefully within a year from now, um, which as far as state certifications go is lightning fast. So, um, And certainly it will be before anybody enrolled at Mythgard has completed uh, the requirements for the master's degree. So, um, so certainly by the time everyone is done, uh, or before anybody is done, well before anybody is done, um, we will have that step in the process done. At that point, we can then begin the process uh, with the Middle States Commission of Higher on, on Higher Education, that is our regional accrediting body, to get our programs officially accredited. That's a multi-year process, and as I said, they require us to operate um, without accreditation for a significant amount of time before they'll even take our application. So, so that's 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 where we are. We are we are. You know, in the mainstream, we are on, <laughs> I was about to say, we're on the fast lane, but the fast lane is not very fast <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to this kind of process. But, uh, anyway, so that's kind of, that's kind of where we are. Um, but, but Rich, speaking specifically to your issue as a teacher, um, one of the things that I am particularly interested in is exactly people in your situation. Um, I think that one of the, one of the groups of people, one of the sort of demographics who could profit most quickly and simply from MythGuard courses are exactly teachers who need to maintain their certification. Um, and I've had some preliminary conversations with a couple different state agencies as well as some national organizations such as for instance the uh, the the National Council of Teachers of English the NCTE um, and what they have told me is that it is true that in general um, it is only fully accredited programs that are sort of by default accepted but that is something that I could talk to people about on an individual basis that is we could 
talk about things with the principal of your school or possibly with the, the, your superintendent um, in your district. And I would be willing to do that. Um, so if you are a teacher who would be interested in seeing if you could get certification credit uh, through your school, through your school district for MythGuard classes, send me an email. Uh, my email at, at MythGuard is my last name, Olson, at MythGuard.org. Send me an email and tell me what school district you are in and give me some contact information. Contact for your principal, contact for... Um, for your your superintendent of schools and I will get in touch with them and see if they're see if we could work anything out basically I think it's pretty plain to anybody who actually looks at the courses that we teach um the courses that we teach are at least as rigorous as courses that you take at accredited institutions. In fact, in some ways a good deal more, particularly in terms of contact hours for instance. Um you there are a great deal more synchronous contact hours in our MythGuard course certainly than uh than there are in the majority of of uh, certainly of online classes that you take but even even of regular classes the contact hours are are actually significantly higher anyway point is i i'm quite confident that uh if uh people would be willing to talk this over we could sort of show them that this is legit. And again, I've been told by state representatives uh, and national organizations that in some states, in any way, in any case, individual um, school districts would have the power to make that decision. So, and I'd, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be happy to have those conversations. So, um, so if you would like, get in touch with me, give me some information, and I will, and I will see about that. Okay. Um, Let's see. Next question. This is from Kelly. Um, and Kelly says, I'm considering going here, but my only question is how this degree would compare with a more traditional one, an MA from, uh, uh, from a, hmm, I'm not sure. It must be a typo, uh, from a, like a state university, for instance, in terms of applying to PhD programs, right? Um, well, that, that, that's a tricky question. It's a tricky question, and I don't really, I'm not really sure. On the one hand, it's an online program, and goodness knows, at PhD programs, um, you know, at online degrees, trying to bring an online degree into a PhD program has been a huge challenge in the past. But, you know, I'm not sure that that's still going to be true in the same way five years from now that it was five years ago, or even than it is now. Um, that seems to me something that's really changing. More and more programs around the country, that is more and more graduate programs around the country, are opening online components um, or online branches of their schools. It is now, I think I can say, it's not pretty much the norm to find that in most graduate schools and most master's degree programs that you can go at most like major state universities, most of them have or are developing um, online versions of those things. In other words, five years from now, a pretty significant percentage of students who are going to be applying to these programs are going to have online course experience. That's going to become pretty normal. And so, you know, the way in which that culture is changing within academia is one reason that I'm not quite sure, uh, Kelly, how to answer that question. Um, because I think that that's something that's going to really sort of change things. The one other thing that I would say specifically as far as the MythGuard program is concerned, I think 
the number one thing that's going to matter when you're applying to PhD programs. Uh, the main stuff that's going to matter is how you look as a candidate, not just where you came from or did you get your degree online or not. What work do you have? Right? Do you have a good sample to send them, a good writing sample to send them? What kind of recommendations do you have and from whom? I think, um, and again, I don't know. We've never done it before, so I can't really. T- I mean, that is, we've we haven't. We're brand new. We've we're we're in our first semester, so of course we haven't graduated any students yet. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I'm thinking, if you're applying to a PhD program in English and you have a solid undergraduate, you know, you 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 have strong undergraduate credentials and bring some strong undergrad recommendations. And then you get an MA from Mythgard, and you're able to uh, to also bring letters of recommendation, uh, you know, from me and from Verlin Flieger and from Amy Sturgis and and from Tom Shippey or whatever. Um, and you've written a really good master's thesis with us. Uh, everyone who gets a master's degree from Mythgard, the, we, one of the requirements is going to be writing a master's thesis, which is a, a fairly short master's thesis as things go. Um, not a full-blown dissertation, but uh, but anyway, a, a, a master's thesis. If you've written a good master's thesis with us, and you have good recommendations from us, um, those like the people that you work with tend to matter a good deal more to people than um, than like the letterhead of the of, you know of where the letter is coming from. That's always been my experience in graduate programs. Um, and similarly, that's always been my experience on the other end. That is, hiring in the job, in the academic job market. Um, it matters a lot less to me. Um, you know, when I'm part of a department considering hiring, it matters a lot less what school you went to. Um, that matters less than whom you studied with. Um, if you've got a letter of recommendation from a scholar that I know and respect, that's going to matter to me much more than, as I say, the letterhead of the you know, of uh, like at the top of your transcript. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that much. The people mean a lot more. So, so I don't know. Like I said, I, I can't, I certainly can't make any promises and I, I don't really know exactly what it's going to look like uh, a couple years from now. But I think, but I'm, but I think that there's, there's definitely, um, you know, you will certainly be able to be equipped to succeed in a PhD program, I think in some really good you'll you'll get some really good preparation for a PhD program, and I think you'll be able to do the kind of work and make the kind of connections that will really help. There, that's I think I think the best answer I can give to that to that uh, to that question. Um, now, let's see. Okay, last question I had um, was actually also. One of the first questions that came in, but I but I neglected it and I'm now coming back to it um, from Arthur, who texted this to me through Skype. Um, Regarding the spring semester, I've been accepted and paid the tuition fee, but was not certain that I was signed up for the making of myth class. When should we expect confirmation and instruction for accessing class information? Good question. Um, Soon, but not instantly. Um, that will probably happen in January. We will get the um, the learning management system that we use at MythGuard is Moodle. We have a Moodle interface. We'll be setting up a Moodle page um, for both the Lewis and Tolkien class and the Harry Potter classes and be 
uh, in, you know, enrolling our students in those um, and, you know, getting you all set up with, uh, you know, so that you can, you can see how the interface works and getting you through orientation and stuff like that. That stuff will all start happening uh, in January. Um, right now, we're still basically just kind of enrolling students and, and, and getting things sorted out and, and focusing on uh, spreading the word and, and, and all that kind of thing. In January, we will begin concerted prep. The semester actually starts on the week of January 23rd, so we still have a good bit of time between now and then. Um, but definitely be looking for uh, the information on how to access our course page um, sometime probably mid-January. So um, so that's that's definitely what I would say to that. And don't worry, certainly, you know, you have, if you have listed um, both either as an auditor or taking the class for credit, you have you know, we ask you to, to tell us which class it is that that you want to do, and you can be uh, confident that we have you set up for that class. Um, ah, an interesting curricular question that has come in uh, th- uh, from the chat room. Um, is there any uh, room in the current program for creative writing? That is, that is a very interesting question. And I will say, as of right now, I have not made many concrete plans about creative writing. Though I will say, um, it is an interest shared by very many of our Mythgard students. Um, if I had to sort of rank the, you know, that many people in their, uh, you know, we ask for a sort of a, sort of a mini application essay <clears throat> on the application for people who are taking the class for credit. And, um, you know, sort of primarily about why are you interested in, in the, class and what are you you know you know tell us more about your relationship with this material and why you want to do this and one of the one of the top responses to that has been people who are who are writers or who would like to be writers and who are um who would love to study you know and who have loved these books and would like to study them more in order to to learn more and have their own appreciation under uh deepened in with the desire and intention of being able to improve themselves as writers so you know that's definitely something that I've kind of been thinking about a little bit, but as I said, I haven't made concrete plans yet. Um, so I wouldn't look for any immediate courses on that. Like I, I, w- I would doubt that we would have, I would, yeah, I mean, unless something changes, I would not expect to do a creative writing class anytime during the 2012 year. Um, I've kind of mapped out these next three semesters, and I don't think we're going to have room for that. But, but it's definitely something that I'm that I'm open to, that I'm interested in doing. Um, and it, as I said, it seems that there's a lot of interest. And this is one thing, to sort of more broadly, that I would say: um, the, what is driving our curriculum primarily is people's interest. If people are really interested in doing it, I can probably make a class happen. One of the things, you know, our program. What are what our requirements? What our degree requirements are going to be? Are going to be really flexible. One of the things you know that I intend and have intended from the beginning is to encourage people to design their own programs, 
what is it that 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 you want to study now you need we will have some default programs that we will um you know that of course that you can choose between but you know we will encourage people to design their own programs and of course we will want them to articulate a rationale for them you can't just take a random mishmash of classes and call it a degree but um but you know if there is a lot of demand for for you know people really would like to see a creative writing component and to have some creative writing courses at the, you know with the literature courses and the language courses that we plan to do you know i can i can totally see this um and i think that that's that that's definitely something that i would that i would be willing to look into so that's an excellent question. It's probably something I, I probably have thought about that less than I should have, um, but it's definitely something that I am that I am willing to think about more moving forward. Well, good, excellent question. Um, all right. Well, I think I've probably kept you about long enough here tonight. Um, thanks everybody for your questions, and I, I hope I have uh, I have helped to uh, sort of both give a little bit more detail about how some of the things will work in our Mythgard classes and also, you know, to sort of share a little bit more of my vision for Mythgard and where we're going and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I just I encourage you to check out our, our website, Mythgard.org. We have a lot of information there. Um, and uh, enrollment uh, enrollment is open for uh, for a while here for our for our classes, but I encourage you to you know to uh, to, to if you're thinking about enrolling, um, feel free to send further questions if you have them. Um, and uh, and uh, you know I encourage you to take the plunge. I look forward to, uh, to 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 seeing many of you in our class next semester. This fall has been just. A wonderful experience with the students that we have and and i i just i really look forward to uh uh you know to 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 seeing some more people get get a chance to do this um especially since i'm so excited about both of the classes that we're uh, that we're doing this coming spring anyway more on those things later i'm sure but thanks everybody and uh and i will sign off now so so thanks for listening and godspeed